Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be taking a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today, we're going to talk about a presentation that was made this last September at the 2021 Applied Reproductive Strategies and Beef Cattle Conference. This conference was held virtually, and those presentations can be viewed online at beefrepro.org. The specific presentation that we're going to discuss today was titled Selecting a Synchronization Protocol that Fits Your System. And I'm joined today by Dr. Jordan Thomas, who developed and delivered that presentation. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Aaron. Dr. Thomas, this is the first time we've had the privilege of having you on the Beef Watch podcast. So before we talk about your presentation and the content behind that, share with us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there with the University of Missouri Extension. Sure. So I'm an assistant professor and serve as a state cow-calf specialist and beef reproduction specialist at the University of Missouri uh, in Extension and have a, have a research program, an applied research program, tend to focus a lot on ester synchronization, uh, control the ester cycle prior to, say, fixed time artificial insemination or embryo transfer. Also have a strong interest in heifer development systems in general. We have the Show Me Select Replacement Heifer Program in the state of Missouri, which I, I help to, to serve as an advisor for. And yeah, just a really, a honestly, a systems kind of interest personally. Um, so not just in the reproductive side of things, but how we really fit that into, you know, a profitable operation overall. And that was a little bit of, of what I tried to touch on in that presentation and what I get passionate about. Well, let's talk a little bit about systems. And I think one of the things I appreciated about the presentation is you took a step back and said, let's just really take a look at ester synchronizy in terms of thinking about how ester synchronization fits in your production system. Does it have application? What's the value of that application? Walk through with us some of the things you think about as you think about an ester synchronization system and its application to a cow-calf enterprise. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start here, um, you know, and, and you guys do such a nice job in the state of Nebraska talking about, you know, unit cost of production. But, but if we look at a cow-calf budget, gosh, it's cost heavy right now, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's really a big challenge to argue that we should have any additional costs in cow-calf systems. And so when we talk about ester synchronization and we know what some of those products might cost or what some of the animal handling would cost, um, I, I understand why it would be difficult to even have an interest in that, right? Because it's yet another cost of, of production. And, and I guess to, to start to unpack that, um, I often think about c- costs and, and trying to cut costs, not as let's build a, a budget and, and try to go through each individual line item and just try to cut that cost down from whatever it is to some lower number, but, but rather thinking through how do we cut causes of cost? How do we cut things that are really in our system, forcing those cause those costs to be um, somewhat high? And on the reproductive side of things, um, one of our main costs of production is really the annual loss in value of cows in our system. And I, I like to talk about it in the, that in the language of cow depreciation costs. So, you know, that cow depreciation costs is basically initial purchase price of that, that female minus her salvage value and, and divided by years of service. At least that's kind of the, the basic formula for how we think about how cows depreciate as assets. And so we have some things that we can do to really drive that cost up or, or drive that cost down. And, and if we have females that are not staying in the herd for a long a period of time because they're failing to become pregnant, 
or if, for example, we're struggling overall with, with pregnancy rates and we're not getting the pregnancy outcomes uh, that we need to have, then we're selling often females at the lowest possible salvage value because they're being sold as open, open coal females. And so those those things combined really drive up cow depreciation costs and, you know, in the state of Missouri and likewise in, in the state of Nebraska and other places around the country, that may be our second largest cost of production that is embedded into every calf. And we really have an opportunity to control that with reproductive management. And estrus synchronization is just a tool and admittedly tools cost money. But if you, if you use that tool really wisely, and you package that together with an overall system for how I'm going to manage reproduction. Now we get to start making year after year progress and kind of build on the successes of one year with uh, you know more success next next year. And that's what I tried to talk through. I don't know that I did a great job, but that's what I tried to talk through in that presentation. One of the things you quoted in your presentation was just thinking about understanding as we're thinking about a system, we want to be careful about maybe short-term wins, so to speak, at the expense of a long-term process that's moving towards improvement. Give some perspective on that a little bit, because I think I appreciated that as we think about thinking about using estrus synchrony. Why do we want to use that? What do we want it to do for us? But also thinking about that from a long-term perspective on what's happening with our system as a whole. Are we making progress towards the goal we want to achieve? So I think we're all familiar maybe with the concept of a vicious cycle, right? So a vicious cycle is, you know, we, we have a problem and that problem causes another problem and that other problem makes our initial problem even worse, which, which makes the, uh, the, the next problem even worse, right? And so we go in this big cycle. So the example I like to use of that is, well, if I have a long calving season, well, now I've got to, in, at least the typical paradigm would be I've got to have a long breeding season because many of those later calving cows need a longer period of time to actually settle them. I don't have them cycling at the start of the, the next breeding season. If it's a very, very long calving season, maybe they haven't even calved at the start of the next breeding season. And so the, the long calving season begets a long breeding season and that long breeding season leads to a long calving season. That long calving season then requires a long breeding season. So it's a vicious cycle, right? Well, the corollary of that is we can start virtuous cycles. We can start the, the cycle that actually gives an opportunity for success. And then we use that success as a leverage point to build on that success. And, and, and here's one example of that. Let's say that we that we manage for a fairly short breeding season. Well, if you, if you manage for a short breeding season, yeah, you may have a higher percentage of the animals open failing to become pregnant. And, and it may feel like a little bit of a short-term loss, just like you mentioned, but that then creates a short calving season and it creates an opportunity to use a short breeding season next year and to continue to manage towards a short calving season or perhaps an even shorter calving season. So that's one example uh, that may be a spendy way to go about accomplishing that. But, but maybe the other, um, the other angle is to have a pregnancy diagnosis performed, regardless of the length of the breeding season, regardless of the length of bull exposure, identify late conceiving cows as well as open cows, divest out of those animals and redeploy that equity, if you will, into early conceiving females that actually allow you to make, you know, more and more progress uh, the next year. So that's, that's maybe one example. And if you start to use estrus synchronization, what you will typically find is that 
much in the same way that culling late conceiving cows or culling open cows creates an opportunity for more success next year, using estrus synchronization to front load when cows conceive during that breeding season creates a similar opportunity. And, and now we can make more and more progress in future years. Most of the data on use of estrus synchronization really looks that way, by the way. You know, if, uh, if we look at the initial profit or the initial return on investment of using estrus synchronization in the first year, it's, you know, it's still a win, but you go four or five, six years down the road and look at the, uh, the opportunities to really increase total ranch profitability um, through use of those tools. And, and really we build every year and that's the exciting part. One of the things you showed in your presentation, which I appreciated is it's, and you just alluded to it now is, is the snowball effect. So what I mean by that is, is when we start to tighten up uh, when cows calve, heifers born early in the calving season are going to be older when they go to breeding for the first time. They're going to be older when they calve for the first time. Uh, they're going to be more likely to stay in the herd. And so when they're calving early, their heifer calves that are born, of course, are early. And, and this snowball effect begins to pick up momentum. I think also we begin to apply some selection pressure for those that are most fertile. And uh, while it's not highly heritable, we sure can apply some selection pressure with that. So give a little more perspective, I guess, just as you talk about the, the snowball effect, so to speak, of, of using a tool like estrosychony to help us have some additional benefits just beyond a, a tight calving season. Well, you touched on a couple of things that I, you know, I really believe. And one is that, you know, when we start to put this pressure on to maintain short calving seasons, we are going to, you know, do a little bit of selection for the underlying genetics of fertility and, and, and functionality and, and whatever system it is that we're, we're pushing for. And, and that is important, but just like you mentioned, those are fairly lowly heritable traits. Um, and, and it's a little unclear how much genetic progress we really are going to make, um, you know, even over the course of our lifetime selecting for those things. But that said, you know, if we think about what heritability really means, it just means that, um, like, for example, let's say a fertility trait is 15% heritable. Well, that may sound really discouraging, but that also means that 85% of it is kind of management. It's kind of our opportunity to, uh, to manipulate the environment or to manage for those things in ways that aren't necessarily related to genetics. So the advantage of using some synchronization uh, and, or, and even really just making wise culling and wise heifer selection decisions, wise, you know, wise um, cow marketing decisions, whatever pieces of the puzzle we're, we want to fit together reproductively in our management system, one big advantage of doing those things is that we get to make a lot of management progress for all of those traits as well, right? So it's, it's not just about the genetic selection, but it's about the management system actually enabling those animals to perform really well reproductively. So an example of that, um, just to pick on a few things that you mentioned, you know, when we think of systems, really that word system kind of means firm together. It's, it's things that are, that are interrelated just inherently. And so you, you can't just do one thing, right? It's that old ecology rule. You cannot just do one thing. You push in a certain area and, and it pushes back in another area. Reproductive management is like that. And so if we, if we begin to um, retain only early conceiving replacement heifers, yeah, we might make a little bit of genetic, genetic progress for fertility and age of puberty, and that's great. But, but a big opportunity then is, well, those early conceiving heifers go on to become early 
calving heifers. And so just from a management context standpoint, they've got more time postpartum to recover. Um, their calves are older and heavier at weaning. So we get a lot of these snowball effects going in the right direction and, and can build on that in future years. So it's a, it's a great opportunity, I think, um, use of estrus synchronization because of what it can do for the management side of things. Um, in addition to just the opportunities to package that up with some good selection for the genetics of fertility itself. Let's talk a little bit about the application of ester synchrony. Most people, when they think about that, are going to be thinking about use of artificial insemination. And that certainly is a major part of that. It has some opportunity and advantage, but we can also use ester synchrony with natural service. And there's some application for that as well. Give some perspective as we think about application of this in a commercial cow setting, how might producers think about those two opportunities, either a timed AI program or use of natural breeding as part of ester synchronization? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that natural service opportunity with synchronization is probably one of the biggest things we overlook as an industry because there are some really simple strategies to go about just front loading when animals have the opportunity to conceive during the breeding season. That, that are appropriate to use with natural service bulls and really simple. One, one example of that would be just a one-shot prostaglandin protocol where, you know, let's say you introduce bulls on, on day, uh, day one of the breeding season and four or five days later, you give all of the cows an injection of prostaglandin and that's all you, all you have to do for that synchronization protocol. That is really effective at just allowing cycling cows to, um, to, to cycle earlier within that breeding season and have their first opportunity to become pregnant earlier. Um, Likewise, we have some really good tools that involve use of cedars, where um, if we have some challenge groups of cows, you know, later calving cows, thinner cows, or something like that, that's just a tremendous opportunity. Uh, and, you know, I, I realize that's a somewhat costly product, but if, if all you're doing is um, a bit of synchronization followed by, by natural service, um, that can be a really high return on investment opportunity in those challenge groups of cows. Now, the opportunities with AI I think are also tremendous, um, A, because we've got access to, you know, really any sire that you choose uh, in many respects, right? And, and so depending on which traits you really feel like are valuable in your operation, whether those are tend to be more maternal type of traits or whether you have a strong opportunity to capture the value of, of terminal calves as well, you know, you can go identify sires that really fit what you're trying to do and have access to sires that in many respects, you would never be able to afford to own uh, on the hoof. So that's a, that's a great opportunity. The other opportunity though, with artificial insemination, aside from just the genetic merit of the sires that we have access to, um, is that we give every animal, especially with a timed AI protocol, we give every animal the opportunity to become pregnant on the very first day of the breeding season. And that's tremendous. I mean, if, even if we just get half of those cows to conceive, uh, which would, uh, which I would consider to be on the low end of kind of the, you know, the normal range of what you might expect to get in terms of results, even if all you did is get half of the cows to conceive on the first day of that breeding season, that's half of the cows conceiving on the first day of that breeding season. That's a really big deal um, moving forward. If you just think about what that allows you to do, how many, what percentage total of the cows could you have calved out in the first 21 days of the calving season, if you actually do that and what, what that sets you up to do next year in terms of the breeding success of those cows is just really tremendous. So there's kind of two advantages of AI. One is, you know, the access to the genetics, but one is creating that service opportunity for really every female on the very first day. 
Talk a little about as you work with commercial cow-calf producers there in Missouri, how are you seeing this technology utilized and applied? Uh, maybe just share some examples of where you've seen value captured through the use of an ester synchronization program. Oh, there's a lot of examples. Um, you know, broadly as an industry, right, we underutilize um, this technology. Um, and, and I think in some respects, it's for good reason. What One of the reasons we underuse it is that I, I think a lot of folks don't have the whole system idea figured out in terms of how to actually capture the value of it. And, and if you don't, then you shouldn't use it, right? Because it's just another cost of production. So the folks that, that I think are really doing this well, they have decided to use ester synchronization AI because it becomes a leverage point to make other changes in their operation that are just really, really profitable. So the, the really great operations, I think, um, that are progressive about use of these technologies, but are also progressive about their overall reproductive management system, are using it to front load when animals conceive, are using it to create more heifers that are born early in the calving season so that they become better replacement heifer candidates. Maybe they've created some little additional enterprises because their heifers are so successful in terms of entering breeding programs that they can actually market excess replacement um, females, you know, excess bred females as replacements for other operations. We see that in our, our show me select program, right? Where um, producers are uh, maybe intending to primarily produce their own replacement females, but um, because of the success that they've built up with the reproductive management of their cow herd and with the reproductive management of their heifers, um, they have excess bred heifers produced and they can market those to other producers. That's one example. We have a lot of producers, I think, um, as well that have really identified the value of the terminal calves that they can produce with the use of AI and are, are trying to own those calves for a longer period of time into that production um, cycle. So, so for example, um, retaining calves as stocker calves after weaning. We see folks doing more and more of that in the state of Missouri. A lot of advantages there in terms of having a, you know, a more flexible grazing unit type of, of animal unit that you can uh, deploy when you have that forage available, or you can maybe choose to market a little, um, a little earlier in, in drier years. That's a great opportunity. Another opportunity is just to retain ownership on calves all the way through the, the finishing phase. Um, we see more and more producers that are using reproductive technologies realize that that's kind of a next step for them as well, because you produce a really elite, or at least can, you can produce a really elite high quality product. And, and if you've got that product, you, you might as well figure out a way to capture the value of that. So a lot of really strong opportunities, I think that um, are kind of the ripples of this initial uh, opportunity that we create with reproductive technologies. Dr. Thomas, anything else on this topic you'd like to highlight or you think would be of value to those who are listening to our conversation today? Oh, one, one resource that I might point folks toward. Um, last, last fall, we spent a lot of time putting together a um, whole system management guide on reproduction through the University of Missouri Extension. And uh, I, I know the University of Nebraska has some great resources as well, but if you want more, and, and who doesn't want more, um, you might take a look at that. Um, it's about 30 extension publications um, from the University of Missouri all packaged up together. Um, and you can, you can order a print version if you really want one of those. Um, I think it's $45 online, but it's also free as a PDF download, so you can go find that and, and just look through that. But I think that what we're doing is maybe a little bit different um, just because we we try to really talk about the whole system and how you how you package up this technology that you know 
could could just be a cost of production. How you how you take that and use that as an opportunity to really to really add a lot of value to your overall system and maybe actually use it as an overall cost reduction strategy and really eliminate some causes of cost. So um, I'd encourage you to look at that. It's whole system management of beef cattle reproduction that's uh, available through MU Extension. Thanks again for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beefrepro.org website. At the website, you can find the presentation we discussed. Also at the website are a number of resources related to beef reproductive management.